All right. So you mentioned Goenka. Yes. And uh, <clears throat> the Goenka style of Vipassana uh, is, is what I practice mostly. It was good talking to you last time because, um, you know, I think I, I integrated some of what you said into how I meditate. I, I haven't been as strict about uh, being so methodical with the body scan that, uh, you know, I, I think you said something of it's okay to kind of follow if you feel like one part of the body could use some more attention or something like that. Um, just not to be as strict about it, not to be, uh, yeah, too rote or too methodical about it. Okay. One of the ways of saying it is, is that the practice or the art in general of the practice of Anapanasati meditation, whatever, is to be able to take an object to seize an object and to stay with it a bit but then there is a more important skill to learn after that and that is just to let that object go and to take another object and seize it and hang on to it and then let it go and then take another object and let it go all right until we get good at taking objects hanging on to them and letting them go seizing the objects okay and that this is something that uh makes the goenka method a little bit better than the bahasi method because all they're doing is noting they're not really seizing the object to where with the um uh, method that goenka teaches is to seize the body as an object and to start moving around. In that sense, you're actually changing objects also. All right, so what we can say about the um, the scanning method is, is that it is step three of Anapanasati kind of overdone. It's overdone in the sense that while it is teaching to take an object, hang on to it, and then let it go and take another object, it's still doing it just on the body and not doing all of the Satipatthana, even though the Goenka talks about the Satipatthana quite a lot. And yet he doesn't practice it. In, in what way? Well, in the Chitta Nupassana kind of way, and in the Vedana Nupassana kind of way, and in the Dhamma Nupassana kind of way, and also in the Kaya Nupassana kind of way, he doesn't do um, step four of Anapanasati, he just stays at step three. Because step four is in fact to relax the body and yet Goenka teaches a strong determination that will do anything but get you to relax your body. Yeah. And so there's some things that are missing in the Goenka method. Um, and that that also can be seen 
by looking at the integration of the Four Noble Truths and the Four Noble Paths, because that's what we're really practicing. A Gawanka's method or a noting method or a Mahasi method and all of that, or even you can add in Anapanasati method. But the real teaching of the Buddha is Dukkha Dukkha Naroda method, the Eightfold Noble Path method. Right. And that method is, is to look at what's going on, see the dukkha if it's there, recognizing what causes the dukkha, the second noble truth, and then do something immediately to come out of that second noble truth into the third noble truth and be free from that dukkha immediately. Immediately come out of that dukkha into a state of sukha. And I think that part of the problem with the Western mind is they hear the word path and they think of it as a path rather than a method. Because a method you can apply right now, like a method for, uh, let us say, in computing the angle uh, of a triangle, there's a method to do that. Okay. And you do not have to wait until you're 40 or 50 or 60 years old to compute that angle of a triangle. You use the method and do it, or you don't, right? And yet in meditation, there's this thing that people get into about a path, and they never actually do what's needed to be done. It's kind of like this. It's kind of like a door that needs to be opened. The door is locked. And you've got the key and you put the key in it and you take the effort to turn the key and turn the knob and push the door open. And yet in Western Buddhism, we kind of think that that door to enlightenment is a thousand miles away from here or maybe 30 or 40 years of marching away from here before you ever get to the door. This is the part that's missing in Western Buddhism is, is that if we take the right effort, that we can come right out of that dukkha into sukha immediately. And then we do it again, 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 and pretty soon we begin to get the skills of being able to do it. But meanwhile, once a student does it one time, when the hindrances come back, they say, oh, poor me, I tried meditation and it doesn't work or something stupid like that. Where in fact, it did work the first time. And if they do it again, it would work a second time and a third and a fourth over and over again. Okay. And it's not a path to anywhere. It's more or less opening the door of uh, your bad feelings and get yourself into a state of good feelings right then. So there's the Vedana that Goenka never talks about. Okay, so let's look at it from the perspective now of the Eightfold and Noble Method, because that's what we really need to practice, not Anapanasati or Anapana or a Goenka's method or a noting method or anything. What we really need to practice is the Eightfold and Noble Method of coming out of our crap right now. Okay, so. Basically, we talked about this a little bit in the sense that the Eightfold Noble Path actually has three groups. And that in an ordinary way, we look at these three groups as Sila Samatipanya. You probably heard that from Gawanka. Mm -hmm. All right. 
that's the ordinary way for ordinary folks or ordinary beginners to practice. Mm -hmm. We're going to change that around for more correct, immediately correct practice into Panya Sila, excuse me, Panya Samati Sila. Looking at Sila is a natural outcome of having a mind that's pure. If your mind is noble, pure, and you don't want anything, you're not going to go harm somebody to get it. Yeah. And yet we talk about Sila a lot in Buddhism uh, from an ordinary position. And that ordinary position is, is that most people, especially children, are too dumb, too stupid, not wise enough to see what is correct behavior and what is not. So we give them a set of rules because it's easier to give kids rules than it is to give them wisdom. Right. And so then a lot of people get the wrong idea. Oh, your SEMA has to be perfect for a long, long period of time. And then after that, then you can practice Samadhi, which would be purification of mind. So you have purification of, uh, of your behavior, purification of mind, and then purification of view. These are the first three stages. All right. Except that, um, all we need to do is to get in seclusion and immediately your sila at that point in time is perfect. Hmm. If you're not around anybody, how can you harm them? If you're not around anything, how can you steal it? If you're not around any alcohol, how can you get drunk? If you're in seclusion, your sila is okay now. Hmm. Perfect enough. And so this is the part of the reason why we want to practice seclusion. This is why the Buddha says go to the forest or to the foot of a tree or to an empty hut. And immediately Western Buddhism takes that and says go do a retreat, which is not seclusion at all. When you're around 100 people, everybody pretending to be in seclusion is not really seclusion. <laughs> But that's the whole thing is to get into a state of seclusion, get into a state where you're away from other people. And to now uh, we're ready to practice. Purification of the mind and the purification of the mind immediately then is just to remove the hindrances from the mind. And this is the part that's messing with Gawanka and all of the other methods is the immediate right now removal of the hindrances. Not hoping that the hindrances will get removed someday. Or expecting that once the hindrances are removed one time, they'll never come back because they'll keep coming back over and over again. And we have to remove them every time we catch them coming back. When do we catch them? When we remember to look for them. Hmm. All right. So we're now actually talking about the Eightfold Noble Path to remember to look. That is sati and ditti, right? Noble view is to look at what we're doing right now in the sense of is this a hindrance, is this a wholesome thought, or is this not a wholesome thought? And now we remember to do that, that's sati. So we want to develop sati as a skill as well as developing right noble view as a skill. And the skill of the right noble view is to be able to detect what kind of thoughts a hindrance and what kind of thought is not. What kind what are wholesome thoughts? 
And so we can look at those kind of wholesome thoughts then and say that's the kind of thoughts that we're going to intentionally have. We're going to change the mind from unwholesome thoughts and put wholesome thoughts in the mind. Well, one of the things that we can pretty well guarantee, and that is, is that when we're thinking about the Dhamma, like right now, we're talking wholesome thoughts. That's easy enough when we're thinking about the Dhamma, when we're thinking about the Eightfold Noble Path and the Four Noble Truths and thinking about freedom, then that's, those are thoughts that are wholesome. Thoughts about no place to go is wholesome. Thoughts of, oh, I've got to go someplace is not wholesome. Uh, because it's not restful. It's not peaceful. Yeah. Okay, so I got to go someplace is actually not at all conducive to correct practice. That's a hindrance. It's going to hinder you from getting correct practice. I got to go someplace. And so having the thought, no place to go, is wholesome. And then the kind of thought of, oh, I've got to go do something. I've got to go someplace and I've got to do something. In fact, the only, the only possibly the reason that we go someplace is to do something. And if we can see that those are unwholesome thoughts, I've got to go someplace and I've got to do something. And we can change that into no place to go and nothing to do. Now we can begin to co practice correctly because we're having wholesome thoughts right in the very beginning of our practice. So we're not going to wait 10 or 20 or 30 minutes for the bell to ring or for our bliss to come. We're going to actively practice that as we start. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now we can also say that we've also covered step nine and ten of Anapanasati already. When I say steps, I'm not talking about chronological events, but rather that these are the way that they're mentioned in the sutta. But the first thing that needs to be done is to look. And before we even look, step zero is to remember to look. And after we look, then we make the effort to make a change. Any thought that you had, here's an interesting way of looking at it. Any kind of thought that you could have could probably be improved. Hmm. Any thought that you have right now could probably be improved. Any and thought. so we're going to think about it like that. Uh, to come out of the hindrances, we're just going to start having better quality thoughts, higher quality thoughts. Mm -hmm. So if you're angry at Joe, instead of saying, I'm really pissed off at Joe and I really want to hurt him or I really want to teach him a lesson, we can say, oh, well, I don't have to deal with Joe right now. There's nothing to do. There's no place to go. I'll take care of that later. And if we're lucky, that later is really later. <laughs> All right, so this is the way that we start to practice. This is also, now you can see, this is the, both the Eightfold Noble Path and Anapanasati is the method of practicing that. To where with the noting, the students will say, well, note what? And the teacher will say, well, just note whatever's there. And this is the great big uh, no button that the Buddha will push right at that point and say, no, we do not just notice what's ever there and then just notice whatever's there next. But we make a change that the entire teaching of the Buddha is based on a change model. And that change is specified in the Eightfold Noble Path of right effort. Mm 
right noble effort is to change the hindrances, to remove them from the mind, remove all the unwholesome thoughts, and have a wholesome thought instead. Okay, and uh, so uh, there is a sutta number 19, and the name of that sutta is Two Kinds of Thoughts. <laughs> and in there, the Buddha talks about what is an unwholesome thought, thoughts of ill will, thoughts of greed, thoughts of cruelty, all of those kind of thoughts are unwholesome thoughts. Uh, it's hard to relax when you're thinking about murdering someone. Yeah. Especially a politician. Because them guys is hard to kill. You got to plan carefully. Got to get into duka heavy big time. Okay, so. We can recognize that we have those kind of thoughts and we can say, no, I'm not going to deal with that politician or that person. Now I'm going to throw those kind of thoughts out and start pending time in this present moment. Right now, that politician or that guy is not here. And because he's not here, the reality is, why should I have him here in my mind when he is not actually here? We can throw those thoughts out. And what and what if what if the person is actually there, then does that? Well, that means that now we already need the skills that we're talking about developing. Uh -huh. Right. This is why we want to go into seclusion so we don't have to deal with the people that we don't like. And we can learn to deal with the not liking. And once you learn to deal with your own not liking, then the people that you don't like are no longer the issue. Now you're not liking is your issue, not the people that you don't like. They never were the issue is always our own don't liking. Right, and so this is what we're actually going to practice is, is that we're going to uh, figure out these thoughts of cruelty. We're going to see them and make changes to them immediately. Throw those kind of thoughts out. And so in this sutra that I was mentioning, the Buddha gives an analogy, and the analogy is the uh, uh, the cow herd. He's herding cows. Now, he's not a drover like in uh, Rawhide, but this is an old Indian. You know, he's got maybe a half a dozen, maybe 10 cows, and he's got to get them from his little pasture in his yard out to the pasture where they can feed. And in order to get there, he has to pass through on the path a built-up area where people are selling goods. They've got their laundry out. They've got housing and whatnot. And so this cow herd takes a stick with him because he's got to keep these cows in order. He cannot let the cows steal food or trample children or mess with laundry or topple tables or anything like that. They've got to stay in line and on path. And so here he is, whenever he sees the cow starting to do something, he's going to whack that cow and get that cow back in line. Once he gets the cows through the, the village, out to the pasture, they're going to have their heads down grazing. Now that the, uh, the, the cows are in a wholesome state, the cow herd now can go sit down under a tree and just kind of keep an eye on them. He doesn't have to stand there whacking them anymore. Okay. So now 
this is the analogy that we're going to use for practice. In the beginning, we've got to get our thoughts in order. We've got to whack them and get them in line to keep them from going out and, and doing damage in the moment. Get them all lined up, one wholesome thought after another after another. And now that we've got the thoughts uh, wholesome, one wholesome thought after another after another, we can kind of relax. But it takes extra work to keep the mind in a state of, um, uh, let us say, wholesome thoughts. But once we get the mind into a state of wholesome thoughts, then all of the real heavy work is finished. Because the finishing, the hard work is just to straighten those thoughts out, taking the effort to do it over and over and over and over again. And this is what's requiring correct practice. So another way of saying this is, is that we're literally now going to be talking ourselves into feeling good. We have been spending all of our years talking ourselves into feeling bad. We've been letting the mind wander off into all kinds of trouble and having to deal with it. Now we're going to keep the mind focused on at least the wholesome. We're going to not allow the mind to wander all over the place, but we're not going to force it too much. We're just going to keep it into the wholesome. And one of the ways of thinking about well, what's wholesome is anything that's happening right here, right now is wholesome because it's real. And anything that is not here and not now is in either the past or in the future and someplace else. So if we have thoughts about someone that's way over there someplace, then that's an unwholesome thought. We should bring our thoughts back to the reality of the here now. This is where Goenka's method of the scanning comes in correctly, because in order to do the scanning, you've got to keep the mind focused on the here now, not letting the mind wander away into the past or in the future. All right, so there is some good value in teaching the mind to focus on the body, but we're also going to be focusing not just on the body, but we're focusing on the breath specifically in the sense of breathing in long and breathing out long intentionally by controlling the mind to do that. We're going to control the mind to pay attention to that this is a long, deep in-breath and this is a long, deep out breath so that we're actually controlling the breath. And in that regard, with that longer, deeper breath and burning the body, we're beginning to relax the body. To start relaxing the body through these long, wholesome, energetic uh, breaths that we're taking, while we're also controlling the mind in order to do that. We're controlling the mind to say, mind, tell the body to breathe long, and the body breathes long. And so we're now training both the body and the mind at the same time for taking long, deep breaths. And we know that we're taking long, deep breaths because we're watching. We're mindful of that. So we mindfully breathe in long and mindfully breathe out long while we're practicing, or let us say, not actually simultaneously, but within the breath, that kind of while, we're also gladdening the mind. We're focusing the mind on wholesome things. 
In other words, we can say things like, wow, this is a really good breath. I really enjoy this. This feels good. This feels great. I like it. Okay, so these are the kind of wholesome thoughts that we're having. And that also in Anapanasati, we're going to actually start with the breathing and the mind and controlling the mind and controlling the breathing. We're also going to be controlling our feelings. And the way that we do that is basically by talking ourselves into the way that we want to feel rather than staying in the habit of how we've been feeling out of habit because of the thoughts that we've been having out of habit. So now we're going to start to having thoughts. One of the important thoughts to have is the thought of safety and security. Here you are secluded, and yet most students will have anxiety, tensions, worries, all kinds of things that are based in fear. And so one of the things that we're going to start to say is, is that we're safe now. Everything is safe. And then we can play a little game like there are no dangerous things here. There are no boogeymen. There are no bears in the closet. There are no sky daddies. There are no horned devils on my shoulder. There are no pythons on the floor. There is no uh, SWAT team breaking down the door. You hear those kind of thoughts that we're having? They're, they're not there. Wow, I can relax. I can feel good. I'm safe now. Any kind of thought that I have that comes in that makes me feel unsafe, let's throw those thoughts right back out. Let's not pay attention to thoughts that have to do with the past and the future. All the scary stuff is either in the past or in the future, but right now there's nothing scary mm -hmm. except our thoughts. And so we're going to make sure that our thoughts are not scary. That our thoughts are in fact thoughts of peace and quiet and um, safety, security. We also want to have thoughts of comfort. And with safety, security and comfort, we can also have thoughts of satisfaction. Satisfaction now. Okay, with safe, secure, comfortable, and satisfaction, this is actually the poly definition, or the words in the poly dictionary, for the definition of the word sukha. That in fact, we've already learned that the word dukkha means dissatisfaction. So if you're in a state of satisfaction, you're not in a state of dukkha. So we're going to be getting ourselves into a state of satisfaction very easily and very quickly just by doing it with these items on the Eightfold Noble Path and then Anapanasati is to come out of our uh, dissatisfaction and come into a state of satisfaction. And we'll stay in that state of satisfaction until some dissatisfying thought comes back. And if, if you can catch it, you can throw that out and come right back into a state of satisfaction. Okay, if we can get into that state of satisfaction, and by the way, that stage um, uh, six of Anapanasati. Again, the steps or stages are not chronological, that if there is a chronological, it's the system that I'm teaching you is to wake up, take a look, make a change, change the way you're breathing, change the way that you're thinking, start having wholesome thoughts. 
and those wholesome thoughts will then lead to the feeling of wholesome, the feeling of sukha, the feeling of everything's all right, everything is fine, no problems, no worries. And these are three items on the Eightfold Noble Path. And so as we begin to develop those three skills running and circling around each other, right noble view, right noble uh, sati, and right noble effort to change it to the wholesome, they develop as a team of three different skills in one. And then we begin to add a fourth ingredient, and that fourth ingredient then is shraddha or sada, which means confidence that you can do it. You can do this. You can build this up. You know that you're doing it because you're getting the skills going. All right. And and when you begin to get the idea that you can do this over and over again, then that fourth ingredient, the uh, confidence, makes the effort much easier because you know you can do it now. There's no internal resistance to it anymore. That you got it in the flow. All right, this flow state then, which has got a lot of confidence built into it, is then now what we call pity in the Pali language. The pity is actually an energy that's based upon success. We've added a new ingredient. First, we had safety, security, comfort, and satisfaction, and now we're adding success. I can do it. All right, and now we've got the Eightfold Noble Path working for us. I can do this. And those four items, right view, right effort, right sati to wake up, and the right competence they gain, brings about the right unification of mind. The mind now becomes fit for work, organized correctly. Okay, so this is the basic practice that we do. And we do it over and over and over again, not because there's eventually an outcome, but because by doing this over and over again, we're developing the skills. That's why we want to practice it over and over and over again. And the number one skill that we want to develop is sati, to remember, to remember, to remember. Because why? Because it doesn't matter what skills you have out in the world, if you forget to apply those skills, they're not going to do you any good. You got to remember to do it. So when a, an enemy comes, you got to remember that you can treat this guy not as an enemy, but as just a person. That the enemy is in your mind, and we can throw that enemy stuff out and be in the present moment if we can remember. Okay, so this is how we practice over and over and over again. This is the basic practice. But breathing, right attitude, in fact, the attitude of the winner. And you can see how all of that's built right into the Anapanasati, the feelings, the body, the mind. And eventually the mind objects when we get the mind really fit for work. In fact, we're already dealing with the mind's objects because we're dealing with hindrances, which are the mind's object, and we're throwing them out. And now we're putting in new mind objects, but the mind objects that we're putting in are have two qualities now. One is that they're wholesome, and number two is that they're temporary. Everything is temporary. 
thoughts keep coming up and going and passing and up and down and over and over again. It's all temporary. We start to pay attention to that. The fact that it's all temporary and if we're not on guard, hindrances will come back. Because our wholesome states are new and they're temporary, and so we have to keep bringing those wholesome states back one after another after another. Hmm. So this is the basic practice. Do, does it does it move toward uh, less thought or or no thought or is that that doesn't even matter? Let's not worry about that. And in fact, that's not really the teachings in the beginning. In fact, the first jhana is applied and sustained thought. That's what we're practicing right now. We're applying it to the wholesome and sustaining it on the wholesome. Once we get one wholesome thought after another, after another, we can put some gaps in there. Mm -hmm. But in the beginning, if we put gaps in our thoughts, guaranteed the next thought that comes up is going to be an unwholesome thought. So we got to train the mind to be in wholesome thoughts and wholesome thoughts and wholesome thoughts. So we go into a state of no thought. When we come back, we're going to come back in a state of wholesome thoughts. But yeah. most people, when they don't have the first jhana very well skilled up, when they do, by happenstance, get themselves into the second jhana, the first thing that happens is crash land. Mm -hmm. So they crash land on takeoff. Mm -hmm. No, you you got to get your uh, your your plane. You got to get your flying skills developed. you got to get the wholesome thoughts going. So practice with that rather than thinking, oh, I'm going to get the mind thoughtless. Basically, as we're practicing here, you can see that imagine a, uh, a horse, maybe even a wild horse just out there. And now what we're going to do is we're going to put him in a pen in um, a pasture. Then we're going to take the horse and put him into a corral and then put the horse into a stall. And only after the horse is in a stall will he settle down. Your mind is not going to settle down when it's got all of that pasture to go jump into all those hindrances. So we're going to work eventually in getting the mind down to where there's nothing in the mind except something very small and very wholesome that we do over and over again. And that's where we can get the mind to finally stop is by putting it into a stall. So don't while your mind is out in the pasture, think about putting in a stall. We need to get a fence around the pasture first. Mm -hmm. And that fence, the first part of it is wholesome thoughts. Keep the mind and the horse out of the brambles, out of the jungle, out of the uh, um, the ravines, mm -hmm. out of the snake holes, and keep him into a wholesome state. Does that make sense for you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's. Uh, uh, I was thinking it's it's a little funny how you know it's called the super mundane dhamma, but it's it's not. Uh, it's not impractical at all, you know, it's like the most practical uh, presentation, you know, that I could think of, really. So, all right. Appreciate that. 
All right, well, you go practice this. And I would recommend rather than the way the Gawanka, in fact, I know the Gawanka style, they will say if you practice once a day, that's good. But if you practice three hours a day, that's even better. Have you heard him talk about it like that? Yeah, yeah, or at least yeah. two hours a day is. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, well, guess what? That actually is practicing while the mind is really, really tired a lot. It's not the right idea. The better idea is to practice this for short periods of time often. Five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten times a day for five or ten minutes. Hmm. To keep coming back into a state that's wholesome and then go off and do something and then come back and get your mind to a state of wholesome and then go off and do something and then get come back and get your mind to a state of wholesome. And so for the beginner, I would recommend that if you're going to spend an hour, spend that hour in either four 15 minute sessions or in six 10 minute sessions. Interesting. So that you're really, really getting it throughout the day. And pretty soon we'll connect these together so that the spot sati will come happening. But if we only practice once a day, then we've got 23 hours a day of hindrances. Hmm. Okay, I'll try the uh, shorter, more frequent sessions. All right. Well, go try that, and, and then uh, after uh, a few days, half a week or a week or something, give me a call, and we'll continue on. Great. All right. Okay, well, we'll see you. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye-bye. Namaste.